Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 121 of State of the Game, the golf podcast that talks about stuff that matters. Rod Murray's my name, and what matters right now is a bit hard to pinpoint because, frankly, things seem to be moving at such a furious pace at the top of the men's professional game that it is proving difficult to keep up. Some are calling the live golf intrusion a threat to the very foundations of the game, while others are convinced it's the healthy, competitive shake-up the dominant PGA Tour needed. So who's right or is neither right is the reality that there's some truth to both sides of that discussion. There may or not, may not be legitimate answers to any or all of these questions, but let's see if we can tease out some interesting discussion regardless. Now, to get interesting discussion, you need interesting minds, and in that regard, we're in for a treat today. <coughs> Pardon me. Because former PGA Tour player Joe Ogilvie joins the pod. Joe's had some very interesting stuff to say in recent weeks, and we'll touch on a few of those in just a moment. Before Joe, however, let me bring in my regular co-hosts on this audio adventure from the US, fresh back from the magnificent that was Brookline for the US Open, writer, commentator, analyst, and sub-stacker. Is that a verb? Jeff Shackelford. Yeah. Can you be a sub-stacker? Yeah, yeah. We'll go with that. Uh, good to have you aboard. We probably won't get to chat much about the US Open, unfortunately, Jeff, but what a I week. Know. What an event it was. It really was spectacular. It was one of the best U.S. Opens I've been to uh, in every regard, and the golf course was just sensational and uh, really beautifully set up. Just, yep. just, uh, and the composite course came together. You weren't sure if it would. It felt like eighteen. The whole, the whole thing was, and just being there, the history, the clubhouse, the, the, the fans were like an open championship fan base. Uh, it was, it was just, and then that finished the play. Uh, by those guys uh, down the stretch, just spectacular. Line up the boxes, tick, 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 yeah. tick. It ticked them all, so it was fan. Really fun. Shame we won't get to talk a lot about it, but uh, that's the golf world we live in at the moment. From here in Australia, where he's no doubt enjoying his usual daily golf during what passes for winter in this part of the world, former touring professional, Australian amateur champion, writer, architect, Mike Clayton. Clates, what course is on the menu today? It was RM yesterday. Uh, no, we've got the architects, uh, Australian architects annual general meeting today in the in the city. So it's the price you pay for playing RM yesterday. That is, yeah. <laughs> it was, um, mind you, we we did have to play the East Course, which was great, but never quite as good as the West. But it was always always great to you're, play at Royal Melbourne. You're one of the oh, handful to have played the composite, thing. of course, Clates. Yeah. Not everybody gets that yeah. chance in their lifetime. So. Uh, so Looking forward to uh, to the chat today. Now to today's special guest. When Joe Ogilvie retired from the PGA Tour in 2014, there were more than a few in the industry who thought he'd make an excellent commissioner. I think we spoke to him at that time about that. Turns out he may have dodged a bullet and instead now <laughs> runs investment firm Wallet Capital Management. He still retains a keen interest in happenings around the tour, however, and especially in these last few months since the live tour disruption crystallised into reality. In his playing career, he once won once on the PGA Tour and four times on the Corn Ferry Tour, including right here in Australia, which I didn't realise at the 2003 Jacobs Creek Tournament. Last week, he posted a very interesting Twitter thread, which we'll get into shortly, uh, but he's very graciously joined us today. Joe, welcome. How you doing, Ron? Yeah, we're going. We're going. <laughs> okay. Are you having trouble keeping up, Joe? The new we were supposed to record yesterday, and the big news was Brooks Kepka's going to live golf, which was confirmed today. But it was confirmed today, six minutes after Jay Monahan started his press conference to talk about live golf. So the whole thing would have been a waste of time from yesterday. Are you able to keep up? Yeah, it's 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 difficult. I'm trying to read everything. I think I've read more about golf and the PGA Tour and and everybody's everybody's thought processes, um, you know, over the last call it two months. And really, since I think it was what it was March 17th when Live Golf announced their purses, um, and I think 
I think everybody was skeptical whether it was going to whether it was going to happen or not. But as soon as they announced their purses, I think the PGA Tour probably went from you know DefCon five to DefCon one, or maybe it's vice versa on that. Um, as soon as you announce a twenty five million dollar purse and fifty million dollar purse at the end, it, it's it's real. Um, and it's been a very, very interesting two months and a very interesting thing. Um, I'm sure Ponte Vedra Beach is just a, a beehive of activity because they've never really had a threat. And it's um, comp- competition makes you do interesting things. Here's what Jay Monahan said. To, I've got a little new toy I'm playing with today for the sake of the audience. We're going to have clips in the show. Here's what Jay Monahan said about competition earlier today, Joe. I'll get your thoughts on this. We welcome good, healthy competition. The Live Saudi Golf League is not that. It's an irrational threat, one not concerned with the return on investment or true growth of the game. To the PGA Tour, welcome competition historically, Joe Ogilvy. <laughs> well, I mean, look, they, um, the PGA Tour, and I, you know, I, I think you referred to one of my my tweet tweet thoughts or tweet threads, however you say that, is that. You know, when Tiger Woods came around and we we started to renegotiate television deals and everything else, our purses went straight up. Um, Clayton and I talked about this a couple of weeks ago where the United States has three out of the four majors. We've got three time zones that our golf tournaments are, are typically played. And it's just a really, really easy place as a professional to, to be a member. European tour kind of went everywhere. They won Asia. They went um, Africa, obviously Europe. And that's a very difficult thing, especially in the age of COVID. And so everybody kind of the best players in the world kind of forced themselves to the PGA Tour. PGA Tour ramped up the purses, started the WGCs. The WGCs, ironically, only went to North America. I mean, they went to Australia for a second and they went to – a few other places, but mainly North America. And, you know, so you basically aggregated the best players in the world on the PGA tour and, you know, they compete like everybody else. And they, they competed very successfully against uh, world golf. Um, and then as, as, you know, Jeff's written about ad nauseum about the wraparound schedule and how that, that, that more or less killed world, world golf. I mean, you're in Australia, it killed the it killed a lot of those tournaments and it killed a lot of the tournaments in South Africa and, and it, it basically crushed the global golfer. So um, the PGA tour won that battle. And, you know, I don't know. I take, I take the Saudi thing is, is interesting in a sense that you've got this, you've got this competitor that has an, I mean, they have a lot of money and they're willing to spend a lot of money for questionable returns, but I mean, that's, that's kind of business, right? I mean, we've just gone through a period of, five years when venture capital has thrown billions and billions and billions of dollars against, you know, to, to deliver your hot dog in an hour. And the next one's going to get five, five billion more dollars to deliver your hot dog in 15 minutes. That doesn't make commercial sense to any rational human, but yet it gets funded. So I think competition is what it is. I mean, that's the nature of the beast. And, um, BJ Tour is going to have to learn to compete. You, you remind me of Homer Simpson, which is like when he had the, he bought that cooker that could cook a whole side of beef in two minutes, and he looks at the guy and says, "Oh, but I wanted it now." <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, yeah, Homer. Homer I mean, the Simpsons have predicted everything that's they ever happened in the world. So they really kind of. Uh, that's a pretty. That's a pretty good uh, analogy. They really kind of have what Joe says there is very true. Clates, you played the European Tour. Surely it was extraordinarily inconvenient compared to three time zones, 
same restaurants in every town. Two very different experiences, American golf and European tour golf, 80s and 90s, but they were somewhat equal. Joe's right, is he not? He called it bundling, the bundling phase of golf where everyone was attracted to the one centre in America. True? Well, it was never equal, but the European tour had the luxury of having five of the best 10 players in the world who, whilst not committing full-time to play in Europe, played 15 times a year. Ballester, Austin Langer, Infaldo, Lyle, Wisnum. You know, they carried that to a for a generation and really Tiger was the guy who broke that as Joe said the, the prize money increased I mean the, the Americans always played for more money a lot more money but when Tiger came along it, it became more than a lot more money and they all of the best Europeans went to America to play full time so that was what really changed and going back to the Australian tour was it when Joe said the US tour won the war, or maybe you said the US tour won the war. It wasn't really a war, it was just a law of unintended consequences was that it killed our tour because it meant that Cameron Smith and Mark Leishman and Cam Davis, now best players, stayed behind in America to ensure they got a good start to the next year. So we never saw them play in Australia. A completely reasonable decision on their part, by the way, which most fans understand, but it doesn't help when you go to the golf and they're not there, does it? Yeah, it was just a law of unintended consequence that None of our players came back. Where in my generation, David Graham and Graham Marsh and Bob Shearer, Jack Newton, Greg, they all came back to play at the end of the year. So we had, we didn't own October, November, December, but you know we could rely on our best players coming back to play because they'd wrapped their cards up and they weren't concerned about getting off to a good start for the following year. That's been the real problem, is that none of our players want to turn up on January the 1st and be eight tournaments behind on the main list. The FedEx Cup points list. Now, we're going to have a quick – this is a vote for the listeners, Clay. It's going to get you to put that microphone near your mouth and talk, and we're going to take a vote. Send us an email if you think this sounds better. Okay, so is this better, Rod? Yes, I think that well, – yeah. we'll let, we'll let okay, the listeners sorry. decide, right. Clay. They can send an email, rod at talkandgolf.com, if you think okay. Clay sounds better like that, if my inbox I'll gets clogged. I'll, I'll hold it up the rest of I'll them. forward all of those emails to you. <laughs> Shaq, do we forget that time that Clay's just outlined? And perhaps it was just an accident of history, the Faldo, Langer, Seve era, where you had these huge names on the European tour that sort of counterbalanced the US tour. And then we drifted into the Tiger era as Joe's outlined it. That all makes sense, doesn't it? Was that an accident of history, do you think? Can we go back to something like that? Um, do we forget that that's what it used to be like? I think I've forgotten that's what it used to be like. I've kind of grown up as a golf fan where the PGA Tour is the alpha dog. They've always been the alpha dog and clearly the alpha dog. Yeah, I think it was uh, just a moment in time, and they're gonna, we're in a moment in time where Tiger and Phil have retired and and uh, are not retired, but they're they're going to be less prominent. Uh, and we knew this was coming this day, and what's there to replace them is not exactly quite clear yet. So yeah, we just go and if you look through the history of the sport, we go through these cycles, and um, and I thought that uh, you know the way Joe put it in his uh, tweet thread was was brilliant the unbundling uh, notion and, and obviously we're seeing that in other sectors um and so there are a lot of elements you couldn't have anticipated in this uh but i think one of them is that uh and and, and you we've talked about it ad nauseum on the show but uh the pga tour has never really um to me put much uh, emphasis on the product, the way it's played, uh, the way other sports are, are introspective about uh, where they're going, how players are being developed. Um, 
And I, I just ha- I don't feel like they've taken that seriously. And it's one of the many elements to this issue um, that I think muddies the whole thing and makes the, the, the unbundling more palatable because there aren't uh, clear signs of who the next stars are and how long they're going to be around. And uh, that's a, that adds to the ability of, I think, the, the Saudis or the Premier League to have done what they did and makes the tour a little bit more vulnerable, even though obviously there's some very good young American players. But the last 10 years have shown us these windows of great play are, are really yeah, shrinking. Well, yeah. Yeah, um, so the more yeah, athletic I think game of today. There's so many. There's so many dimensions to yeah, this. <laughs> it's. It's. I have sympathy at times. Yeah. For Jay Monahan, because there are things you just. There's just. There's just no way to anticipate. Uh, but I also don't have sympathy when I see some of the solutions and I see that you sense that uh, they were not prepared for certain elements of this. Like somebody, a group of people didn't put a plan in a drawer developed two years ago when uh, a certain blogger on this podcast pretty much shared half the uh, PowerPoint by the Premier League on his blog. And you could have said, okay, let's pick apart this. And what does this mean? Who are these people? And how can we learn from this? And I, I just don't sense that they did that. No. Joe, they, the, the PGA Tour has made some small effort, I guess, in some ways. You won the 2003 Jacobs Creek Open, which I think was a web.com co-sanctioned event at the time. Yes, now, now the Corn Ferry Tour down here in Australia. And they did that for a couple of years. My understanding is that it was actually the American players eventually said, look, really, going down, all the way down to Australia to miss the cut and spend a bunch of money isn't really suiting us. Great for the fans down here. We enjoyed those times. There does seem This does seem to have picked off a scab that there's a lot of animosity from the players towards the tour hierarchy. Am I misreading that? The top players especially seem to be very... Uh, un- unhappy with the the two of us. Is that a general feel? Do you think? Yeah, I think I think just the just the general the tour has um, the players have always thought the tour has been very secretive to a certain extent, um, and I, I don't think that that's necessarily misplaced. I mean, I went back and um, <laughs> as you read about everything going on, I went back and read. You know, a few of the annual reports back when I played, 2010, 2011, 2012, 2013. Um, and you read the last couple. And back in 2010 to 2014, I could I could generally tell you they gave numbers to the PGA Tour and where all the money went. And the same thing without the Champions Tour. I mean, Champions Tour had a deficit, and you could see that. Um they don't give you those numbers anymore. I mean, I think the, PG, the, the the annual report used to be about 75 to 80 pages. Now the annual reports call it 50 pages. Um, so they've taken away some of the information that, a, you know, kind of an interested, interested party would read to kind of give you the health of the tour. Now they tell you certain numbers and, you know, I don't, I don't distrust those numbers, but the numbers are just a little bit more opaque. Um and I think that the tour has always had a sense that, you know, um, we're going to run the tour, but we run it on your behalf and trust us. Uh, we'll do the right thing. Um, you know, I, I think, you know, some of the old, old time guys, you know, talk to Jim Colbert's of the world and, and guys in the, they're now in their seventies and eighties. Dean Beeman had a real sense of what players wanted. And I think they trusted that because he went through the same thing that they're going through. It's a player himself, wasn't and, it? Something to that. Yeah, I, yeah, and I think there there is something to that. I think, um, you know, but I, you know, Jay Monahan is a, a great guy. Fincham was certainly, 
want to call Tim creative, but he was certainly a tacticianer. Um, and they did a pretty good, they did a pretty good job. They also had a guy named Tiger Woods to kind of help them through and kind of carry that ball, which is, um, you know, when you're the commissioner in, in the Tiger Woods area, it becomes a kind of a ham sandwich business. I mean, a ham sandwich could run, you know, anything that Tiger Woods is involved with. So, um, yeah, I, I think that there's a, I think that there's a definite kind of trust, trust factor there that, that is, is, is lacking. And the PGA tour has not helped themselves. They're trying to get better, but it's just not in their DNA. Maybe a bit too late. Is there a different way, Joe? You're in, you're, you've always been interested in you're running a business. Now you understand business. Is the PGA tour a good business model? I think it is. I think it's a it's a business model that hasn't necessarily evolved, though. I mean, I, I think it's very quaint, and and I get it that the the romance of these guys playing for, you know, basically earning what they kill, right? And 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 playing for you know a true meritocracy is is great in theory. But Clates, I mean, I don't know. When you played, it sure would have been nice to 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 have a positive ledger before you played. Um, whether it's European tour or the PGA tour. And I think, you know, I, I went back and looked at Tiger Woods world or career earnings on the PGA tour would not be in the top 150 contracts of American sport. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I don't know, but I think when, you know, TV and everything else, I think there's ways to evolve that isn't, um, a complete counterculture to the game that we all love um, and to get guys, certainly the bottom guys and the, and the top guys, you know, maybe, maybe some guarantees. Um, I think there's ways to do that. I also think that, look, you'd never set this up. If you were starting a league right now, you would never set golf up the way it is no. currently. Um, and that's USGA PGA of America. I'm talking American golf here, USGA PGA of America, PGA tour, and the different rules and the USGA governing the rules of the PGA tour. I mean, you just wouldn't, you wouldn't necessarily do that. Global golf is RNA, you know, European tour, there's a European PGA, you know, it's just a very convoluted system. And then you have the mother of all, which is Augusta national. It's just a very interesting product and it causes the leagues PGA tour, European tour to do things they may not necessarily do if they controlled the game. Yeah, I've always been convinced. I'm not saying I'm not. I'm not saying that they would do a good job if they. No, no, that's I'm just saying that. I've always it changes. Thought, it changes what what you're able to do and what's possible. Yeah, I've always thought those tensions are a bit like the ropes that hold up a tent, though, don't you? For the for the good of the overall, I understand what you're saying. It'd be much more efficient to have a czar who ran golf globally, or in America, but I'm not sure that it would necessarily get you the best outcome. We might come back to that, Joel. Let you think about that, so you can tear apart my argument, which I'm sure you'll do well. Clades, is that heresy what Joe's suggesting there? Guaranteeing players some money before they start playing for the year? That's everything that golf isn't. It's what lives Well, offering. whether you guarantee the money before they start playing or you pay everyone who goes to a tournament. So you get paid something that covers your expenses if you go. And whether you miss the cut or not, you get paid. Which the majors have been doing for Which some time. Which is what the majors do. And what, I mean, certainly on the American tour, in a, in a tour that's clearly awash with money because they've just found another 160 million or whatever they've just found that you would think it would be reasonable that everyone who turned up and was spending ten thousand dollars for the week to be there would get some sort of payment for their efforts but i mean none of the 
when I played in Europe, none of the good players wanted that because they always knew they were going to make the cut. And why the hell should the guys who missed the cut get paid? But I mean, there was appearance fees too. Well, that's also true. Yeah, which was a which which have always been a cancer on. But Peter Thompson always wrote about appearance fees were always bound to be a cancer on the game. But when they were reasonable when they were paying reasonable amounts of money to players they were torments could afford them but now that i mean no one can afford to pay well we could afford to pay tiger woods three million dollars to come here but we couldn't afford to pay what everyone else thought they were worth because he was worth three then phil thought he was worth two and a half and ernie thought he was worth two well tiger was worth three but ernie and sergio and phil and all that they weren't worth The, the relative amount of that. They were still only worth $500,000 to a tournament, but they weren't going to, they were making so much money, they were never going to come anymore. So, and the other thing that Joe alluded to, it's ridiculous. If you were setting golf up now, you would never have three majors in America. And it's the one thing that <laughs> tennis does golf better than, sorry, tennis does better than golf is distribute the majors around the world. I mean, it's ridiculous that the USPJ Championship doesn't, travel at least once every four years to somewhere around the world everyone sprouts about growing the game but the best thing the pga of america could do to grow the game would be to send their tournament around the world every four years well and clayton and i talked about that the other you know this was a couple of weeks ago and clearly you have the three u.s open open championship and masters aren't going anywhere those are going to be i can't foresee a, a world where those aren't major championships the weak link there is the PGA championship. And if you, I think Clates had this idea when we were discussing it, but if you actually looked at that and you're running the PGA of America, you're like, okay, how do I make this the actual, how do I make this the best major? I mean, if that's your goal, I mean, that should be everybody's goal in every tournament. And that the only way you do that, I think is you, 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 you take it on the road yeah. and you know, you go from a, a fourth, a very distant fourth to could be on par. Yeah, yeah. So. I mean, everyone in Australia loves the they they love the Masters and the British Open before the US Open, but they still love the US Open. Mm-hmm. They're completely ambivalent about the US PGA. They couldn't care less about it, and it should be clearly the equal of the of the other three. And the Australian Open tennis did that. It was it was it was way further behind the other three majors than the PGA is behind the three golf majors. And it's now, perhaps it's not the equal of Wimbledon and the French and the US, but it's pretty damn close because it's such a great event. Mm. And it was innovative and, and Paul McNamee, who's a friend of mine, ran it for 15 years and did, a, did an incredible job with it. Yeah. And it showed that you could drag something up from you know, the, 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 the dungeon of sport up to the almost the equal of the other three great tournaments in tennis. Especially when it's got the best field. It's got everything going for it, the PGA, <laughs> everything going for yeah. it, and yet somehow yeah, do, still do, yeah. it's it's the best setup. Jeff, we're touching all the classic hits today. I hope you're going to slip distance into your response. We've got the PGA going no, on the road. I, got the, yeah. No, listening to Joe and, and Clay, so what, what I realize and, and what I love talking and listening to Joe talk is, it, is he makes you think about some different things, and I realize – just, you know, we've hit this topic on the PGA many times and, you know, the, the real block on that probably is television and, uh, ESPN, uh, and CBS now being the rights holders. And, and you just realize it's, it's, it's so much of the problem with a lot of these things is, is being beholden to networks who are on an old model that's dying. And, and so the events get compromised. So, you know, for instance, they would get lower ratings if they did what we dream about which was every four or eight years go international in those olympic years 
Well, what, what, what if they figure out, I mean, somebody like Seth wall, why doesn't he figure out a way to say, okay, uh, in those years, we know you're not, you're not going to get what you, you normally do and your sponsors, it's going to be a little different. God, I'm going to use this value proposition, uh, for you. Uh, but we're going to this place where there's going to be a different revenue stream and we can, we can make this work for you. You know, you just, you just realize so many of these decisions are made on this old TV model that still works in a lot of ways. And is, it still has a lot of positives, but like all the PGA tour stuff today, so much of it's built around the NFL and getting the playoffs before the NFL for TV and TV won't do the playoffs in September. And, and uh, I, it, it, you realize just like our cable streaming issues right now, there are a lot of people who are moving towards the mentality. They would pay to watch the event uh, in a different way without ads. And, and, and perhaps at a time that uh, isn't, conducive to the network schedule perfectly that's trying to get a certain rating so anyway we i think i think you bring up a good point but also think that there's never been a time in history where you could actually do it and every single network has a chance to benefit i mean if you look at what's happening global all these all these new streaming concepts need global scale yeah and what is global scale well paramount plus once a global audience, well, CBS runs Paramount Plus or owns Paramount Plus. So you take the PGA Championship onto these countries that they need scale and they need to grow and you've got to build in. I mean, there's a lot of different synergies there that you could actually, you could make up for, you know, lost revenue. What's the lost revenue? $20 million. Well, $20 million is probably only a quarter of a million subs if you, if you net present value those subs. And so there's, You've never been in a time where the actual networks who run right. the yeah. run the various television networks. I mean, they they all have streaming that they all want to get international, and so now it, it might be the easiest time ever if you're Seth Waugh, if you're the running the PGA Championship to have those discussions. And I think yeah. that there's enough benefit to the network carriers globally that it, it becomes interesting. And you have Apple and Amazon showing interest in sports looming out yeah. there as yeah. interesting parties yeah. as well. And so you're, you're right. It, we ha- the time hasn't been there until now. And the mentality of more people being willing to just, just pay for it. If I can not have ads and, and all and, that stuff, maybe some cool bells and whistles and see it in 4k and all that kind of stuff. And does Tulsa, the city of Tulsa pay the PGA any money to have the PGA in Tulsa? No, because, because the Victorian government Ooh. pay the PGA tour. Yeah. 30 million of our dollars to have the president's cup here so right. you know you know that the victorian government for example would would pay the pj a lot of money to bring the pj championship to royal melbourne or peninsula or kingston heath or wherever they want to bring it could be like the olympics and Ryder cup quotes we could start a bidding process you know yeah, yeah what could go wrong the pga championship in brought to you by the qatari and qatar oh, yeah. 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 yeah we can play we may see a Ryder cup at royal sands yeah. or greens but on the upside yeah. we might see a Ryder cup at royal melbourne shack and wouldn't that be something worth uh maybe worth paying a price for you've touched on something really interesting this whole streaming thing of course Live launch, they could not have done this. Well, let's it's the gorilla in the room. We've torn down the PGA tour. Let's have a look at Live Golf. What do you think about their structure, Joe? And I'm particularly interested in everything you talked about just then. Unfeasible even five years ago to think that you could launch something on the scale they have on YouTube. Yeah, it was it was very interesting. And um, you know, I thought I thought the 
I was very surprised at the product and how how mm. good it was for kind of spinning this thing up because you know three months ago when Mickelson was it was February when Mickelson made his comments I mean I think it was I don't think anyone thought it would launch this year not and to launch it in when was it June first or June fifth through their second through the fifth or whatever it was. Um, or is later than that. Anyway, when they launched it, I thought the product was a heck of a lot better than, you know, I would have guessed. It certainly looked pretty good on site. It wasn't the car uh, crash I mean, you would have expected, was it? I would have expected a car crash, it, to be honest with you. Yeah. And I, I mean, you know, I think if you look at what Greg has done at Live, um, I think it was really, really smart to buy the Asian tour okay. or at least invest a lot of money in the Asian tour because that that basically the Asian tour already has world ranking points mm-hmm. that gives all their players a chance that if the PGA tour, I'm very skeptical whether they're going to be banned for for life. But if they do ban them for life and that survives the courts, they have a place to go, um, all of those players, and they have a place to go that they can get world ranking points. And if you think about it, Asia is, I mean, what is their th- four and a half billion, five billion people in Asia. Um, it's, it's the growth. It's where the growth is going to be in the world for the next, for the foreseeable future. So that was a very, very smart move. And, you know, I think that they, they put on a pretty darn good event and um, they're, they're going to be here for a while. I, I think they're smart. And they're also smart. If you look at where they're going in the United States, they're going to Portland, which Peter Jacobson used to have the Fred Meyer. Was it Fred Meyer? I think the challenge so, yeah. there. Yeah. The Fred Meyer challenge. Yeah. Fred Meyer challenge. <laughs> they're going to. They're going to. Um, which Portland's golf starved. They're going to um, Chicago, Boston, and New Jersey. PGA Tour has pulled out of Boston. They've yeah. pulled out of um, New Jersey, the New York area, which is which is amazing. And then Chicago is every now and again they go to Chicago. So you think about great golf markets that are starved for golf that have really great fans, passionate fans or whatever. And quite frankly, I mean, you know, you, you can say that these guys are, are somewhat on the, on the back end of their career, but they're pretty darn compelling. I mean, Bryson DeChambeau is, he was the most compelling guy in golf outside of Tiger Woods three months ago. Yeah. Or sorry, three years ago, two years ago. Last year. Um, By Hill last year. Everyone's yeah, ready for so, I mean, they've got it. They've got an interesting. They've got an interesting product, and they're gonna they're gonna be around. I mean, um, and I also wonder. It's kind of interesting. I mean, Greg Norman was revered, I think, when he played one of the best drivers of all time. But if you really look at, he didn't seem to have many friends. And if someone else was running Live Golf, I wonder if the animosity would really be there. Um, that currently is. I mean, I think there's a lot of skepticism on Greg, but. The concept is interesting. It is. Could could somebody else run it effectively in this first? You, you can't make an omelet without breaking eggs, and he is the perfect egg breaker in this scenario because he, he's not costing he himself. Perfect. You, he's not costing need, himself any friends skin. on the PGA Tour. It might be very hard to find someone else who might do that. Are you suggesting, Joe, that we might see the Asian Tour playing in the States? Because you're right. Buying the Asian Tour is fantastic. There's world ranking points. There's a, a back door there if everything doesn't figure out the way Liv wants to with world ranking points. But could you honestly see Dustin Johnson and Brooks Kepko going to Chiang Mai to play golf? Well, I mean, they're allowed to have, you know, I mean, yeah, sure. Absolutely. Because um, there's appearance fees, (laughs) you know, they're not, they're not going to go there to say, oh my gosh, I want to, I want to go grow the game. This is a great idea, but they will go there if, you know, the Saudi, the, the, the live tour is going to go to those places. Um, 
they're going to, I think they're going to make it easier for those guys if they want to stick around. Um, I'm sure they're going to go, I'm sure the live tour is going to go to Australia. I mean, if you're Greg, that's the ultimate, you're going to want to come home to be and, and be like a conquering hero and bring world-class golf back to Australia and guarantee a field too, by the way. Mm. Um, so I assume all of that is on the table. I mean, this, this, this tour is going to be 14 to 16 events eventually. And so I assume when they go to different parts in the world, they will stick around. The Asian tour will be either front end loaded or back end loaded. As we saw so, already with them. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. And they'll, and they'll, they'll pay the guys to stick around or, or, or come early. Pretty bold move, Clotes, wasn't it? Taking the Asian tour to London. <laughs> That's really, it's taking the fight up, isn't it? A couple of weeks back. Sure is. Yeah. You know, they, what they played, it was the same week as the next tournament in Sweden. That's right. They, yeah. Where they played it. Slaley Hall. Yes, and then the following week yeah, was the yeah. live event. And five places, I think, yeah. went to the qualifiers from there. Shaq, on the live tour, your thoughts on their model? It's this sort of hybrid, mashed up, rushed out thing of Premier Golf League kind of in a way, and the teams were all a bit weird, the live golf model, and some of the stuff that Joe was talking about there in terms of uh, uh, are either the PGA Tour, I suppose is the question, either the PGA Tour or live golf offering any sort of different product to the fans that's in any way compelling. At the moment, it feels like everything's been about players. How much money can we throw around to convince the yeah. players to stay or go? Has anyone thought about the fans? And is there anything of interest in either, from what Jay Monaghan announced this morning, that actually is for fans, do you think? Uh, no, nothing I heard today from from Jay was was fan-driven. Um, and I I thought the, the uh, shotgun start, which has been mocked, Quite a bit. I, I thought it was actually quite compelling. For obviously, you can only do it with a smaller field. Um, I heard something at U.S. Open last week about a possible double shotgun if they expand their their fields. That may start to get a little bit silly. But the way it was presented on TV, the sort of countdown of the holes, <clears throat> I thought was pretty pretty smart for the opening rounds of a tournament. I don't think it works in a final round when you have a lot of people uh, with a chance. And I think there are cool dynamics of a traditional or some version of a traditional start, um, you know, somebody getting out ahead and getting in the clubhouse and some of that kind of stuff, but for making those days tighter, uh, making it a, you know, the days are just can be so long in golf and expensive for, for TV. I mean, that was part of their thinking. And you know, the Saudis took all this from the PGL guys and the guy who, who was a big part of that is now working for them. Um, so it's not even a, I mean, Greg takes credit, but yeah. that whatever. Uh, so yeah, I think they are doing some things, but yeah, once again, today, I don't, I, I, I look at every, and I get it. Jay's trying to, to plug a bunch of holes and, and all the language we can get to this, but I mean, I thought the European tour, co the lack of comments about them in the opening statement was were I thought was very telling. It sounds like they're making a deal elsewhere, but um, their silence is deafening. Uh, is it not, Shaq? The European tour. Yeah, I mean, well, we'll find out tomorrow. But it sure sounds like they're they're in talks with the the Saudis and 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 who knows? Keith Pally may just take a golden parachute and we'll never see him again, or he may replace Greg Norman. There are all sorts of interesting rumors, but it looked like. It, it, it was not good today that, that there was very little uh, outlining of the international events. I kind of understand the concept. It's it's for a makeshift thing. They did, I think, as well as they could. But it was just money and building around the playoffs and and then and then going to no cut limited events with bigger purses. I mean, you're just saying you're just validating what what lives doing and you're just repeating the WGC concept, which is dying 
because a lot of those, the, the, well, for a lot of number, for many, many, many reasons. But one of the problems was those events often could be blowouts. Uh, so, uh, and then I'm not hearing anything, you know, one of the uh, great, the one thing that they, they have done on the live side that I think is brilliant and was always, and you know, we've talked about it with, uh, the premier league guys was their vulnerability of you is like, where are you developing players? Where, how are you do? How's this going to work with relegating and how do you bring up the next player? And, and I know they always didn't really want to flesh that out. Cause it might make some good players feel like, Oh, I'm going to get relegated after about three events. If I don't play well and they didn't want to scare them off, but uh, uh, you know, the corn, you, you, you can't make any money on the corn fairy tour and it's not supposed to be a place you get rich, but you'd like, I guess I always had a romantic vision of, uh, of the web Ben Hogan corn fairy being built out like the minor league system in baseball here that would um, would would invest parts of our country uh, in the big show, but also develop people. And now Liv is saying, you know, we can we can make these guys some money, and they don't have to worry. Um, and and I, just, I mean, all this money they keep finding in the cushions. You couldn't you couldn't have put ten million dollars into the corn ferry to enhance it uh, stipends. Uh, whatever, just to to make those those developmental players' lives a little bit better, and then to to make that tour a, a real quality feeder tour that has all these other intangible effects. It just doesn't seem like yeah, all this. It just doesn't seem like something of interest. And I think that's where you get so many people at the tour who just have a marketing mindset instead of a understanding um, certain elements of the game. Uh, or having somebody like Joe in the room that can, who's played that tour and who's been to some of those cities and can tell you what uh, that will do. Like I went to a, just a r- bizarre example, but I went to the minor league game in Tulsa the Saturday before the PGA, and it's a Dodgers minor league one of their Double A team, and everybody there's a Dodger fan. Again, it's a small you know Tulsa's not not New York City, but you just see all these little tangible elements of how if you build a proper system. And now I think the live people see that kind of weakness of the tour that they never really built that into the, what it should have been. And, uh, and I think that even becomes one last thing more vulnerable, because if you're going to start limiting uh, some field sizes and, and, and I, again, I get kind of what the tour is doing. Well, you better have the thing that's below it, a more attractive uh, to, to make that player stay around and not want to go play the other tour. And just it's just the right thing to do it uh, with all the money they just keep finding. <laughs> You're right there, Joe. Is the Corn Ferry Tour an afterthought, which is what it looks like from the outside? They certainly don't seem to have invested in it or from the outside. I don't know. I've never been to a Corn Ferry Tour event, obviously, but there would seem great opportunities to take golf to golf staff parts of the country, not big enough to have a PGA Tour event, get people invested in golf and the PGA Tour, exactly what Jeff's saying. It doesn't feel like that's how it's done. Yeah, I think they could. I think that they could do it. Uh, they could certainly invest a little bit more money. I mean, I think, you know, from a bang for the buck standpoint, if there's, you know, let's call it twenty-five to thirty events, um, you know, three million dollars is a hundred thousand dollars an event, roughly, um, increase in purses, and that goes that goes a long way. Um, you know, I think you can also do some things. They've got this PGA Tour U deal where it, you yeah. know, they rank the top college players or whatever. I mean, that's kind of this is the first year for it. It's kind of already 
Um, although Pearson Cootie finished fourth last week and at the um, over in Wichita, but you know, I think that they can do certain things there. I mean, you know, as I said, this, this competition allows the PGA tour to do things that they normally could not do. And they always were about playing opportunities and they were about, you know, they talked about their members all the time. Competition allows them some, some, they, they can do things that, you know, perhaps would be very, very uncomfortable to the membership, you know, two or three years ago or 10 years, okay. certainly 10 years ago, they could do some things now that they can, and they're starting to, they're starting to do those things, but it's not in their, it's not in their DNA because, you know, they've never had to worry about real, real competition. I will say one, one thing I want to say about the live tour that I think is really underappreciated that has been poo-pooed by, I think I can say that on a podcast. Yeah. Um, yes. By most, most people. And it's the, where I think is, is really interesting from a finance standpoint is their team concept. Now the team concept was a disaster last week. Cause you had basically had the South African team and they, mm. they, they kind of pulled the best players, which is really smart. Um, but as the depths of those teams get better and better and deeper and deeper, I mean, I've heard numbers with, you know, billionaire financiers and billionaire, um, you know, people who own kind of fashion companies being interested in buying these teams. And the the numbers I'm hearing are, speaking of not making sense, they don't make sense. But, you know, I'm I'm talking like nine digit numbers here. Um, And so if you have, you know, let's call it you have um, 14 to 16 teams and you could possibly get a billion dollars of revenue through ownership of those teams. Um, and you get billionaires competing against billionaires. Well, billionaires hate to lose. And then all of a sudden, it, it, the, the numbers, it's like F1, right? I mean, they're also taking a, a, a thing. So I think that this year, they're just kind of throwing up a bunch of stuff at the wall and hopefully something sticks. But I think next year is where you're going to see them really, really go out with this team concept. And I think it could be, I think it could certainly be compelling. It's genuinely uh, innovative. Or hell is a lot more compelling now. It's genuinely innovative, isn't it, Joe? And that's rare in golf. We keep crying for innovation, then we smack it down when we see it. But that one does feel like it could could do something. Yeah. Could, yeah, and no ask, one knows. And no one knows how how that's going to play out, no. and and how the players are going to think mm-hmm. about it. But I think it could be interesting. Jeff, uh, Rod, can I ask uh, Joe something? How, how much is the um, compensation structure for the PGA Tour executives? How, how much does that uh, limit creativity, or or? give us some of the problems that they have now in terms of being incentivized to just create purse growth and playing opportunities instead of looking at the product and saying, we've got to show some restraint here. We've got it. We've got to trim. We have to have, we have to go away for three or four weeks or whatever. Is there a, is there a problem with that, that, that maybe needs to be reexamined? Well, that's the thing, right? I mean, no one knows how they're incentivized. And, and, you know, this goes to players, this goes to PGA Tour staff, this goes to really any human. And if you show me the incentives, I'll show you the outcome. And however much you think that you understand incentives, um, ability to sway opinion or to sway somebody's thoughts, incentives are, 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 are massively underrated. And, and no one really knows the PGA Tour's brasses, um, 
we don't know their incentives. We don't know their incentive comp. We don't know is purses. Is that it? Is playing opportunities it? What, what does it really look like? And, um, you know, I remember being on the board and the board to- told us that good news. Um, we asked Tim Fincham to uh, sign up for five more years and he agreed. And <laughs> the player directors were just kind of looking at each other like, well, when were we brought in? Um, we were just kind of wallflowers. And then when we asked to see the contract, we were told no. <laughs> so, mm. I mean, you know, and then it was, you know, kind of, uh, you know, they, they've since, I think they've since changed that. But I mean, it, it um, you know, there's a lot of angst among the players because you, you can't, you don't know how they're incentivized. Um, mm. You have no idea. And, you know, look, I'm now in the financial, you know, financial analyst and a money manager. And the, and one of the first things we do when we're evaluating a company is we want to know how management is incentivized because if they own a hundred million dollars worth of stock and they're paid a million dollars a year, well, they're going to care about the stock. That's the only thing they're going to care about. That's, that's a good thing if you own a stock, but if you're paid $20 million a year and you own $2 million of stock, well, you don't care about the stock. And we don't want to own those companies, right? Mm. We want a lot of skin in the game. And so I, I just, I don't know. And, and, and maybe those, maybe the players know, the players directors, I'm sure know, or at least I hope they would, how at least the top three or four guys are, are compensated. But it's, um, you know, I, I think the answer, it was a very long answer to a question no, it's that really I didn't answer. Um, no, well, I think it speaks to a lot of the issues in, in play here and, why it's important. Yeah. You know, and I think that, you know, the best thing and, and Jeff, you kind of, you kind of get around it. Um, my opinion, one of the best, one of the best tournaments is obviously the Augusta and Augusta is probably the one tournament that could really care less about the players. I mean, the only thing <laughs> that they care about is, I mean, you know, the journalists have one of the great all time venues to be a journalist at. So they want great stories written from there to be comfortable. The um, now granted it's easier to do that when you have, you know, you have one venue, but you know, they want the patrons to have a great time. I mean, the whole thing, when you're there, you you feel like, wow, this is how a golf tournament should be run. And the players are sort of an afterthought. And I think that's kind of an interesting way to, to run a tour, of course, the players, the players are, are the most, the players are the show, but at the same time, there's a lot of things that go on behind the show that the players really, really, um, you could you could run it differently. And if you run it for the best, you run the product for the best possible product it could possibly be, believe me, the players are going to be ecstatic and the revenues are going to go up and everything is going to go up. And I think that comes down to venue. I think that comes down to venue time of year. I think that comes down to golf course. I think there, I think there's a lot of things that that comes down to, and you know, a shorter season is going to enable, hopefully, the best tournaments and the best venues and the best weather to to shine. At least that's what you hope for. Clay, mm. I'm reminded of a couple of things that Jeff Ogilvie said on this podcast. The other Ogilvy, <laughs> the other eloquent Ogilvy in the uh, by, f- by far the smartest the, Ogilvy. The, I, I, I could listen to Jeff all day long. That'd be great, but I wonder how many billionaires he stacks up amongst the people he talks to on a weekly basis. You might have all of us covered there, I suspect, Joe. 
Jeff Ogilvy, what did he say about the Corn Ferry Tour, Clates? I remember he said it to us once about the Corn Ferry Tour. This, it was just kind of a wasteland for golfers. And if you're a professional golfer, that secondary tour in the States. That, well, I think that was me, wasn't it? I mean, I, I've always, it's always been a wasteland for Australian players. Yeah. Not always. There have been a few that have gotten, gotten out there. We've had a lot of good players go there and just get stuck Stuck on there, bouncing between the two. I think that Minwoo Lee and Lucas Herbert proved that going to Europe was a much better path for Australians. Yeah. No. But either way, that's kind of yeah, either by the by. But but yeah, it's it's been a not a great tour for Australians to go and play. The other thing more pertinent is about Augusta, though, Clates, and I'm distinctly remember Jeff saying this on the podcast that everybody goes to Augusta every year and says this is fantastic. This is the best tournament all year. Mm. Tournament directors, media people, players, they all go there, and the very next week they go back to their own tournaments and do the, the exact opposite. It takes some. Kahunas, doesn't it, to be innovative and do what Augusta National does and still sell beer for $1.50 when you can get away with doing it for $22. Yeah, and of course, going back to, it does, and going to last week when, I mean, you know how much I detest long grass around greens and everyone thought the country club was great last week, but everyone loves Augusta and there's no rough around those greens and you go to, you you watch the country club last week and all you see is guys Mm. hacking the ball two feet off the green, hacking the ball out of six inches of rough. Cross-handed. Cross handed and winning, <laughs> no. but um, yeah, that's exactly right. I'm like Augusta's. Everyone thinks Augusta's influential, but you go to a, a lot of American golf courses and you and you don't see any short grass around the greens. Whereas where I played yesterday at Royal Melbourne, that's all you see. It's all you see in Australia is short grass around the greens. We're kind of going off at a tangent at the moment, but yeah, it's interesting that Augusta doesn't have much influence <clears throat> in terms of how the golf courses are set up. You touched on something. Used to. Uh, sorry. Used, mm. used to. You touched on something, Joe, that I think is really interesting and still simmers in the background. The Premier Golf League, the team aspect that you talked about, and you're right, this notion of ownership of teams, and they talk about this sort of stuff a lot. But Premier Golf League, those guys are smart. Jay Monaghan said they're not interested in talking to them at the moment. You know, they're considering all things, but they're not interested. They've sort of rebuffed them. But if enough players vote for the PGA Tour to look at that, proposal they don't have a choice do they that Andy Gardner has said this many times that's simmering in the background is there still a chance for that feels like that'd be a much neater cleaner way for golf to get that notion of a team's an elite team's competition which I think is really much more interesting than I thought I would think it was uh, but without it having to and and would that then perhaps kill off this live Saudi thing if that's the point of difference they're eventually going to have I don't, I don't know. I don't know the funding source of Premier Golf. I don't know how deep the pockets are. Um, and I don't know what they would want and what their proposer would be with the PGA Tour. I mean, if you're an incumbent and you have someone coming in and say, you know, and if it's five private equity backed, they want to return within six to 10 years. So there's, there's some, there's some, there's the incentives are not they're not in an incumbent's favor and you, you might have to do some things to get liquidity to that private equity firm that, that jeopardizes your tour long-term. And I, you know, so I get the PGA tours <laughs> trepidation on yeah, that sure. thing. Um, you know, <laughs> what they could do is figure out how to set up a structure where it's a separate entity. So I think we're going to go through a pretty brutal economic time um, here in the next few years. And so, you know, you take all their money, let it fail. And at least you didn't have to spend any of your money. Um, because I, I just think that, you know, having, having private equity in golf is, is, is good to a certain extent, but when you're starting to start up a nascent league, you need, 
you need a lot of money. I mean, that's why the Saudis probably have staying power. They have a lot of money. But, um, you know, I, I would want to know all their funding sources. I, I mean, there's there's a lot that has to go into it. And they, they would need, you know, maybe they've got $3 billion, but I think it would rhyme with something like two and a half to $3 billion. That's what they'd have to have to be interesting. And then you got to figure out how to get a return on that. And then you got to return – you got to return money from your to your LPs, your limited partners, within six to eight years. That's really hard to figure out how that works. Anybody else have those moments? I haven't done enough. I haven't done enough. Right. I, haven't done enough I might send you a link to a, pod, a couple of podcasts to listen to. He's very interesting, and you got stuff that I think you'd be interested in the politics of how the tours works and how it's structured, how you'd need to restructure it to be able to do what they're talking about doing. There's some very interesting stuff. I hate those moments when I realize I'm the dumbest person in the room, Jeff, and it just happened again when Joe was talking about all the stuff he talked about. Never would I give a thought, oh, with team golf, that'll be fun. It's like, yeah, no, no, there's a bunch of stuff has to happen before you can get to that. Uh, what we haven't even touched on it, we should have. What did Jay Monahan announce this morning? Jeff, and what should he have announced? Are they doing the right thing? The positive, there seems to be reasonably positive reaction from the bit I saw on Twitter before we started talking about what he said at his oh, press wow. conference. But yeah. what have they done? What should they have done? Well, first of all, I have a newsletter focused on the major championships, Rod, for a reason. I, yeah. I'm really growing very <laughs> bored with all this stuff and saw some of it coming, um, not all of it, of course, but um, uh. Well, we're getting rid of the wraparound. We're going to have, uh, we're going to boost the purse of some big events that didn't have trouble getting stars, uh, in general. So Genesis they had a really bad date, like the API some years. Say Genesis, um, Palmer, Palmer, Jackson, yeah, Palmer, yeah. the ones you would expect. Yeah. Uh, and then there's a fall component, a few international events, very vague on that, which tells me the European tour deals not happening. And, um, yeah, the idea is that that if you don't want to play in the fall, you don't have to. Uh, we're going to have a fall return to sort of the chase to get your your card. The, the playoffs are going to be uh, starting at 70, uh, so there will actually be meaning. Somebody might actually play the Wyndham Championship, and you don't have to have the uh, that embarrassing bonus pool of $20 million. It could have gone to so many better things uh, than the um, incentivizing guys who don't show up for that event. Uh, so yeah, they've, they've, they've done a few good things and, but we're back to WGCs and limited fields, no cuts in these events. So, uh, more money thrown at the, uh, tournament champions and the, uh, the tour championship. Yeah. And, and it's just a lot of money talk. Um, and you know, to Joe's point, we're probably headed for a pretty, pretty good recession. I also wonder that, it, I mean, I'm already seeing it, um, how many people are really turned off by this and the damage it does. And, you know, I've written a few pieces about this. I think the damage it will do just talking money, money constantly. Um, I thought Jay was really good when he was on with CBS and Jim Nance uh, and Tiger's amazing on this topic, but, but, but not talking too much about money, focusing on the things that make that we love about professional golf, uh, separate of the money, but I get it. He has to do it. He's catering to players who are on the cusp of going and all that, but man, is it, uh, is it a turnoff to people, especially when you have a a week, like you just had at Brookline and the PGA was sensational. Uh, the masters was really good. So then those weeks just look so much, so great, um, juxtaposed against this, this money talk. So that's kind of the vague, I, I haven't gone through the, the transcript uh, word for word. There was some very interesting wording. I mean, we just played that audio, but, um, 
there were some very good questions as well from the people on on hand. I mean, I love Doug Ferguson just asking. Jay Jay just was stumped. As, as I mean, I don't know what he answers, but I'd be curious what Joe thinks. But he just said our players today undervalued, and I think that's been a huge problem in this is they've somehow come to believe that they're wildly undervalued. They're not. They should be paid what LeBron's paid, and blah blah blah. And oh, give me a break. Um, and it's just again a turnoff to people. Um, so I, 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 I think Tiger Woods has, has probably been undervalued, <laughs> Yeah, but the rest, and I don't know Tiger about the rest, is, maybe there's, Phil, there's a re- there, yeah, there's a reason that Tiger won the PIP yeah, <laughs> yeah. or PPP or whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah. Without yeah, playing. yeah, yeah. PPP. There you <laughs> go. That works. PPP, same, yeah. same kind of, same concept. Is it fair to say Rod that, or Joe, that players have never been better paid and never complained more about how little they're paid? <laughs> I mean, you never heard Jack yeah, Nicholas complaining about how poorly he was paid, and he was clearly worth a lot more than what he was making. Arnold Palmer? Yeah, you know, yeah I mean, Rodney look, I, I, I think just generally, globally, I realize this isn't for everyone, but um, there's never been a better time to be alive than it is right now, and there's never been a better time to be a PGA Tour superstar or an amateur that has a great record or whatever. Um, you know, it's it's a pretty it's a pretty great time to be um, part of the PGA Tour and um, you know the 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 revenues are also massive. I mean the television revenues are massive. The major championships revenues are massive. I mean there's there's a lot of there's a lot. I mean the economics of sport. You know you talk about unbundling and bundling. Well, what happened was sport is the only thing in this world that you need to watch live. That's exactly right. Um, And that became, you know, when the, when the advent of the DVR and everything else happened um, and social media and where your cell phone tells you what happens instantaneously, sport is the only thing that has survived that like, I've got to watch it live or I don't get, I don't get a heart. My heart doesn't, doesn't, doesn't race. And, and you just need that, Sport, sports are, just provides a great just dash of dopamine right to the brain. And I, I think that worldwide, you're just seeing that. You're seeing more eyeballs. And those eyeballs are only going to get increases as, as you see streaming and cable and broadband and everything else go to the world. And um, so, yeah, I mean, I think that uh, I think that times times change and sport needs to sport. Sport has to evolve. What's interesting, what, what's interesting, though, is, you know, Mickelson, made those comments and he talked about the percentage of the, you know, what they're playing for and everything else. And I think he came up with Jeff, what, 23% or 22% or something, something like that. Yeah, 20, 20, 20, 23. Yeah. I think it was. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I mean, look, I've, I'm like, okay, well, Phil, Phil must be a lot smarter than me because he, he has figured this out and I, I don't see that when I see the numbers. Um, but then again, it's tough to, tough to, to decipher all the things in the PGA tour. The only thing I can think of is he adds up all the majors as well. And then you get to, you get to that point. And, you know, I, I don't know, I don't know what the solution is there. Um, I do know that I think that the majors should all get together. And I think that golf should all get together and say, okay, we're going to have one combined voice on growing, you know, call it a, single a double a triple a baseball we're going to have one combined voice on this is how we think the best way is to supplement municipal golf or something this we're going to have one combined voice on 
whether that be a Hall of Fame or a golf house, or we're not going to have a PGA Tour Hall of Fame, and we're not going to, or World Golf Hall of Fame, we're not going to have a a golf house of the USGA and Pinehurst, and we're not going to have a PGA of America Hall of Fame. We're not going to have all these Hall of Fames that no one goes to anymore. And we're not going to, you know, there's there's just a lot of fat in golf, at least from the from the governing bodies, and there could be a whole lot of they could work together a heck of a lot better. Um, and they could, um, and you know, that's probably not going to happen, but I do think that the players, and I've, I've said this too, have never had so much power as they have now. And everybody's looking to the players. I mean, Roy McElroy, my gosh, if you're Jay Monahan, mm. maybe you should give half the salary to Rory. Um, he might be he's playing every week. <laughs> it seems like, yep. um, yeah. and it's kind of incredible, but, you know, I th- I think that the players could they could force some change in golf that probably could be could be better. Um, and I think these these kids are thoughtful. I mean, Justin Thomas is thoughtful. Rory's thoughtful. Jordan Spieth is thoughtful. Um, you know, maybe Jeff Ogilvie wants to lead him because he's obviously thoughtful. Um, but I mean, these these kids are really. I mean, I th- I think they do want golf to survive and they want it to be better. Um, also want to be paid more, which is which is I'm, I'm fine with, quite frankly. You touched on the topic of the majors there. What's going to happen with the majors, Jeff? They're kind of holding the key to this whole thing, aren't they? It's time yeah, there seems to be a lot of pressure uh, on them. I don't understand why people think they would do it to uh, stop these guys from playing. I think it's mostly people who are with organizations that that see their their uh, golden goose in trouble, and they're they're thinking that that. That's the open championships job to uh, suddenly be less open is very strange, especially when I think it's pretty clear over time that there are very uh, obvious signs of things they can do via the world ranking to uh, if they feel strongly enough to penalize these players who jump and keep them away. I think it's a combination of uh, the 54 holes. uh, You know, I asked the question it was it was really one of those uh, uh, kind of placeholder questions that I'm, I'll be curious how it plays out. But I just asked Mike Juan at the press conference, do these events have to play by the rules of golf? Because the first live event, they, they, they let some things go. You know all the people who are going to that tour. A lot of those players have had run-ins with the rules of golf, which is a nice way of saying I, I think they're dishonest, uh, if not if not cheaters. Uh, and then you have a lot of people there who don't believe in what's probably coming on the equipment rules. So uh, you can easily, although Greg Norman, of course, is pro rollback pro or pro uh, bifurcation, and we have bifurcation coming now. So um, <clears throat> there are ways they can they can do this that are subtle that don't get them sued. And so I guess that's why I feel like the governing bodies are in a great spot. They can sit back and uh, yeah, there's some guys who are exempt for, you know, Dustin's exempt for uh, life at the masters, blah, blah, blah. U S open for another four years. Uh, So they'll hang around, but Abraham answer. uh, He's not going to be, it's going to be hard for him to get to majors just with kind of the little tweaks that are coming in the rules and, and the 50, if they, uh, I mean, they could even they could even award the, this tour world ranking points, but they may be uh, very limited amounts. The amount of tournaments is very limited, so there are ways that they will be able to deal with this without having to expose themselves. It seems to me. Yeah, the, the, 
Augusta's in the most awkward position, aren't they there, Jeff, with a bunch of former champions? <laughs> five or six, I think, already on the well, tour. They're not going to say to these guys, they can't come back, are they? No, no, that would be obnoxious. And and there's just, there's just no, they earn that. And that, that would just, why, why would you do that? And then also why, yeah, they have a lot of members who are in a lot of different businesses <laughs> do a lot of business um, and I don't think they want people to start scrutinizing that. And, you know, that's a element of this whole thing that we haven't really, um, uh, explored and there's no reason to explore it now, but, but, but the Saudis have shown, uh, uh, a willingness to use some means to to track people and know a lot about people uh, via this this Pegasus software and uh, I mean every one of those players has given these these people their phone number and and I can guarantee you if they haven't they will be they'll know everything that's on their phone and they'll have files on these different people and um, so good luck with that joining that kind of an organization but um, I think that if those people at Augusta national started intervening that, that they would, they're, they're not, they're not going to be afraid to uh, as Greg did on uh, Saturday night with uh, some interview with Brian Kilmeade started going on about the tours partners who are in business with Saudi Arabia. Uh, it was not a, an equivalency, but they've done, they're starting to do their homework a lot of, Let's what put it that way. And so, yeah. Quick question, Joe, for you. I'd be interested in your thoughts. Does sports washing work? Hmm. This is supposed to be the point of this whole exercise. It gets raised every single time it's discussed about the human rights issues in Saudi Arabia. Is it working? You know, I, I don't I don't know from a geopolitical thing. I do know this, that once the competition flag goes up, people kind of forget where the money's coming from. Or at least I, I believe that. Mm-hmm. Um, now, if, 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 if it'll be interesting to see the tournament that's in Saudi Arabia and how that's produced and how that's, you know, that, that, that kind of thing. But when you're, when you're playing on American soil or you're in England or you're in Australia and I mean, people don't necessarily care where the um, money's come from. I mean, you know, I'm sure you have people in Houston that went to the shell Houston open that were 100% against any type of oil drilling, but they love golf. Yeah. And, you know, I think, I think, I get it. And I watch Brandel Chambly and he's impassioned and everything else, but I, I just, um, and I, and I, I, I'm just, I don't know. I, I think sport is just, sports just a little bit different and people are ultimately they're, they're trying to figure out and they're trying to watch something that they can't do and that they admire and that, that they want to be entertained. Um, and so it's a, it's a, it's, it's hard for, it's hard for me to get my arms around it. I don't know if it works geopolitically. I, I do know there was some study that said if you have if a country has three or more golf courses, their corruption level tends to go down. So I, I don't know. More golf seems to be good to yeah, me. Um, and more golf probably helps society a little bit better than less golf. Yeah. Clay, you went through the apartheid era in the 80s and 90s on the – European tour with South African players around the place and a part of South Africa was isolated. In the How did that play out for players at that, well, not grassroots, but at that professional level? You would have played with Dale Hayes and a bunch of other well, guys. I, I didn't play with Hazy, but I played with Bioki and Bland and those guys, and they it was tough for them. The, the, I, on the Wednesday night before the World Cup in Greece in 1979, they told the South Africans they weren't playing. Sorry, guys, go home. You're not allowed to play. So that was brutal on them. They 
couldn't go to Sweden, I don't think. I think they banned them in Sweden. Every country in Europe, they had to get a visa to go and play. So it was tricky for them. But they could play, but it was di- they made it very difficult yeah. for them. And, I mean, the ultimate, one of the manifestations of sports washing, which was probably unsuccessful given what happened to the Eastern Bloc, was you know, the prevalence of drugs in Eastern Bloc athletes in the Olympics in the 70s and 80s, which was, I assume, an attempt to prove how superior their system was. Why, why else would you do it? And that was uh, clearly didn't do the Eastern Bloc any 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 good. It unraveled, it fell apart. No, it didn't do the it didn't later. do the Russians very good in Sochi either. <laughs> no, no, it all, uh, all so, unraveled pretty quickly. You know, I mean, people have always used sport. To, I mean, Hitler had the Olympic Games yeah. in '36. I think that's recognised as the first sports washing yeah. sort of attempt, organised sports washing attempt. Is that idea of having the? Yeah. But you know, are the Saudis doing it for sports washing, or are they doing it for to to try and create an economy post oil that attracts tourists? To Saudi Arabia. Well, that's what. I, mean, I don't know why you'd want to go there right now, but if they built some decent golf courses, maybe you might want to go there. But sports washing does work, Joe. I think. Well, we the evidence. Well, Clay, want Clay wants to go when he, when he sees the first decent golf course built. Shaq. Well, there was a, uh, a, 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 I guess you'd call it a conspiracy theory. I don't really think it's that much of a, a leap uh, that I heard from some agents at the U.S. Open that the Saudis are are. One of their motivations, besides the obvious, what Clates just touched on, that uh, what is ever he calls it, 20, Vision, 2030 Vision initiative. 2030, uh, yeah. Vision 2030. And the um, general sport washing was that this was uh, uh, part of, uh, and uh, in conjunction with some of the oil market manipulation, uh, part of just kind of their grand scheme to get Donald Trump uh reelected have him come to the events, which I think once he shows up at the events, they're going to really take a hit. I don't think they're quite attuned to how that him doing what he does, which is try to get attention at Trump, Bedminster or uh, Doral is uh, going to go over well with a sizable portion of the population. But if anybody's watching this thing on YouTube, but that this isn't part of kind of a grand plan. Um, I thought it was interesting that that was uh, a component of this. I don't know. I think they just went to wherever they could get decent enough venues and, uh, and their venues just aren't very good. So we'll see how that goes, but. Big question, Shaq. What's going to happen? Is Live Golf here to stay? What unfolds from here? It's hard to – I can't – I just can't imagine how it's going to unfold. You can imagine there's going to be some court cases about all sorts of different things from all sorts of different parties. What happens? Where do we go? What's golf look like in 10 years' time globally? Yeah, I think it's here to stay for a while. I just think so much of it comes down to whether they, they get a partner that, that will get this in front of a lot of people. I just don't think this the YouTube – hundred thousand viewer thing will will uh work at some point they're going to get tired of it and the way they're spending they'll probably give it to a network at some point soon they'll just say hey we're going to produce it and here it is and and somebody like fox might might just take it but right now nobody's shown much interest and you know espn disney uh nbc cbs uh they're all they all have conflicts so they're not going to do it um, or they'll buy the golf channel and they'll just put it on there. There's a rumor that came and, out. Uh, last there's week. any number of scenarios that could just occur. Uh, you know, Comcast is a, is a terrible company. They'll take the money. If it's, uh, if it's ridiculous amount of money, if it's a, if it's $2 billion, Brian Roberts will take it. He's, he loves the game, but he loves, uh, he loves, he loves profit more. He's shown that over and over again. So they've got a, I, yeah, I guess I, the one thing I, and I agree with Joe on the, the team element, but man, listening to the younger generation mock the, mock the team names, even last week, we were having a lot of laughs at the, 
we had Mark Steinberg. He had no idea what we were talking out on the course. Andy Johnson was like, uh, I wonder if now went out to do a little scouting after the round. I said, yeah, he brought out his, he brought out his radar gun. He's out checking out the next talent for the next trade. And I even remember what team he's on the gunners or the, I mean, the horrible names. And we were just mocking it. And uh, they were, they didn't even know what we were talking about. And then we explained what teams we were talking about. So they, they kind of, I get why it's so important, but they came out of the gates with bad names and, and weird and concept and the terrible it's, it's, it's fluid. And I mean, it, I get the concept. I get why rich guys want to own yeah. a franchise or all these benefits, but I do wonder if they're, they're doing damage with the way they're, they're going about it so far. Couldn't do it any worse than the way they watched it with the names and the logos. Uh, the and Majestics. Look, it looks the like Niblicks the kindergarten and, kids had put it together. But that, and that, I don't know what you name them. But, no, um, no, certainly not. You, you know what you wouldn't, and there's 12 names already that you're not going to have. Yeah, use and again. the High Flyers, <laughs> HY. Like, like, Though man. I will say this, Shaq, Clates knows young Trav Smythe, an Australian guy who got a start in the Live event because he finished top five in the International Series thing the week before, the, the Asian Tour event in London, uh, made a bit over a million Australian dollars in those two weeks, which would have been an unthinkable mm. scenario for him two weeks earlier, the guy who hasn't played for a couple of years because the Asian Tour was shut down. He told somebody I know that he was still hoarse a couple of days later from being out on course screaming for his teammates to make putts because every putt that went in, his earnings went up really? and up and up. So, yeah. Oh, now, yeah. Well, that, and so that money he, was amazing. So yeah. he's invested. Now, he's not Phil and he's not Brooks. He was out got, on the course screaming? He's, he's out cheering and screaming for putts to go wow. in because okay. that meant, so I don't know, he's out in, on the course. Incentives. But incentives. Well, I mean, it, that that's could exactly be, and you right. know that, you can so, envision where that could be saying, fun. And you can also remember the PGL had team captains and managers and – that's very much what yeah. I think that's got potential. Trades. That, that makes me think that that's potential. Well, who doesn't want to play for Team Tiger? Name a golfer that doesn't want to play for Team Tiger, aside from yeah, five well, that, that you could name straight off the top of your head. Yeah. yeah, that's exactly right. So you can say, Clates, what's going to happen? Live golf. What's, what's golf look like in 10 years? I don't know. I don't think anyone has a clue. I, th- I wonder if the Saudis and the Europeans are in bed together and the PGL and the PGA Tour are in bed together. Possibly. Is that the, the, well, Jay, Jay, Jay still hasn't taken Andy Gardner's call, but I definitely think the European tour and the Saudis are. It's almost a feels making like a, a deal. deal, doesn't it? Feels it just like seems, a I mean, after today's yeah. press conference, we'll find out. Maybe, maybe Rod, when you hit push on, I this, was going to uh, say just as this drops, <laughs> this part right. of the discussion will be outdated. But exactly tomorrow right. they're supposed to announce something, so you know, that would be Thursday. It's hard to imagine the European players aren't pushing him oh, in that direction. Be flogging. I mean, they, they know how much money is there and. So, I mean, they're not caring about the things Eamon yeah. Lynch is writing about. No. They're yeah. caring about human rights in Saudi Arabia. They're just... And they're losing, what percentage of their world ranking points in a couple 50, of months' time? 50% or something? 70% of their world ranking points are going, yeah. I think. Oh, European tour. Yeah. So they've got oh, a, I forgot mem- about that. They've got a membership yeah. who are just going to be flogging Keith Pelly to do something, yeah. anything, so mm. that we can continue to make a living playing golf. Very, very interesting times. Joe Ogilvy, I'm going to leave the last word to you. How, what does golf look like globally in 10 years' time? What's the price of oil? Um, no, I think that uh, I think it looks somewhat similar to what it looked like uh, pre-Tiger, um, where you have probably a more robust global uh, tour, and you have the PGA Tour, and you have you know majors and possibly the players championship. I mean, that's, that's the, that's what's interesting about Ponte Vedra is that, you know, you've created this tournament that's, that's almost, um, 
well, it's not a major, but they call it the fifth or someone calls it the fifth major, but it's, it's probably the fifth best tournament in golf. Yeah. If you lose a lot of the best players and now, you know, you always say we've got the top 144 players in the world or whatever the number is, um, you're not going to have that next year. That is, that is, that is 100% the case if they keep up with the band. So, um, you probably see a better, a bigger global tour. You probably see uh, the PGA Tour continuing to do okay and pretty well, not as well as they have the last 10 years. Um, but look, professional golf is built on stars. So tell me where the next star is and tell me who the next star is. And, and I mean, I don't mean like major champion winners. I mean the, the guy who just absolutely breaks through. Moves the needle. The, the, the Arnold Palmer, the Jack Nicholas, the, the Tiger Woods. Where is that next guy? And and I'll I'll probably tell you the answer. Even John Daly, Joe, you know, moves the needle. You know, people. John Daly, John Daly moved. John Daly moved that. the needle. Um, and you know who knows who knows where that guy is going to come from. <laughs> um, but it, uh, I don't know that 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 guy will determine who's who what the, what the, what what the next tour looks like. I got a little breaking news here, Rod. That someone just sent me a message that Carlos Ortiz has just signed with Live Golf. There There's you know. your answer, Joe. Um, <laughs> of course, the, the, the crazy thing is yeah. that we haven't mentioned the women are playing for nine That's exactly million dollars, right. yeah, and the- which is pretty amazing and good for them. And you know, I mean, I mean, they've been um, it is. Un- I just wonder- underpaid for, forever. They yes, they have underpaid and underpaid. You're right. Do these sudden huge spikes, though, Joe? In the longer term, are they necessarily healthy? We saw the U.S. Women's Open, I think, doubled its purse. The PGA Women's PGA has now doubled its purse. Is that a business value proposition? Is that – I can sort of say – I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I think it's a good thing. But in the longer term, is that a sensible way for businesses to grow? Well, I think it, I think it, it creates what happened in Europe, right? You had – you had major purses and those typically went middle East. And then you had, you know, you, you had the open championship, you had the WGCs, and then you still have in Europe, you've got 3 million, 3 million Euro purses. And then you have, and I think you've got a couple 2.5 million Euro purses, and then you've got eight and a half to, to 10 million Euro purses. And the it just, series. Yeah. You know, what is, what does that look like for the stars and, and, you know, typically you've had a pretty broad, and, and the stars of the LPGA Tour play a lot. They, they really do. Well, the, well, the giant purses, you know, and this is where maybe the major championships can all get together because there's five of them and women. Is that is that look? How do we make this a more sustainable global tour? And how do we can we, how can we partner with the LPGA to make this to make women's golf truly what it what it could ultimately be and. That's an opportunity because I, I agree. You know, having having the uh, having purses that look like an EKG chart every week is is going to ultimately dilute um, some of the fields. I think. Yeah, I tend to agree with you. I think we'll probably leave it there, uh, Clayton. But it's great. I mean, it's it's fantastic. Yeah, ex- yeah. No, you can't speak against it, but something about it, it doesn't quite gel, does it? Does suddenly double the purse overnight for two of the bigger events? Uh, where does that come from? I mean, there's a you can see there's a there's a good political reason to do it. It's not the wrong thing to do, but what's the long term impact potentially? That's it's it's an odd thing to have happened, you know. If yeah, I'd I'd rather have a whole bunch of four million events and then five 
you know, six six million dollar purses or five and a half million dollar purses. Check on the LPGA where you're right. The big players play week in and week out. I write all of the tournament previews, and you you do the PGA tour, and it's like, okay, how many of the world's top ten aren't playing this week? On the women's side, it's the complete opposite. It's like, wow, you uh, play- look at look at the leaderboard last week. I mean, fantastic. Was, yeah, I mean, it was yeah. pretty fantastic. And the yeah. play is just staggering. The quality of the play is off the charts. We, we forget that. But the women understand, I think, that if they don't play every week, their tour goes away. Yeah, not yeah. strong enough to not 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 have the best players playing most weeks, so they play most weeks. It's a little like the PGA Tour in the '60s, '70s, and those sort of times, isn't it, Clates? Where the you know, the players have got to do the work to keep the thing over. We've now entered in, in men's golf is this entitlement era where you can be a middle of the road player on the PGA Tour, which is an extraordinarily good golfer, but you can make loads and loads and loads of money without ever having to do anything beyond just playing golf you finish a bunch of top tens each year and you can live very comfortably without having to really work beyond the playing of the golf for it that's not the case for the women and the women play fewer tournaments what's it they play 28 tournaments a year so it's less it's yeah it's it's starting to get to a number that's though they're going to start thinking about scheduling the decisions of when you play yeah yeah so by the way one just last thing on that topic uh there were a lot of rumblings at the u.s open that the TV negotiations took a long time because down the stretch at the end, uh, the networks built in some language on strength of field and number of top players at the events. And so that may be why you see them suddenly taking uh, interest in this topic, which I thought they kind of uh, blew off these, these disruptor tours a little too much. And so I don't know what that means. If that gives them, if they don't have to pay as much or if they have uh, gives a, a exercises an out clause, if they don't meet the numbers, I don't know. So anyway, that was another added element in this that could could make yeah. the whole thing intriguing here. If they a number of players or no, you know, enough guys in the top 50 aren't playing events anymore. Your your Abraham answers and your Carlos Ortiz's. Well, that all depends on what happens with world ranking points down the track, doesn't it? Right now, we yeah, stand, but yeah. yeah, in two years' time, if the live events aren't getting world ranking points, well, then there's a whole other scenario. That's what yeah. as Joe yeah. pointed out with the Asian tour, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Wow, it's uh, such a multifaceted. It, it's fascinating to watch. I'm not sure I'm enjoying it, but it's fascinating to watch. I think most people are quite enjoying the PGA Tour getting a bit of a bloody nose. Certainly, those of us in Australia aren't upset to see the PGA Tour get a bloody nose. But I think a lot of people are also kind of uncomfortable with the money source of the Live Tour as well. So it's a an odd time to be alive and an odd time to be a golf fan. Mike Clayton, great to talk to you today. Enjoy the Golf Course Architects meeting, which I'm sure you will that you're going to this morning. Yeah, it'll be interesting to. Talk architecture. Yeah, that'll be fantastic. Thanks for your time today. Shaq, great to talk to you, my friend, as always. Yeah, thank you. And thank you, Joe, for doing this. Big thank you to Joe Ogilvie. It's been great to listen to uh, some of your thoughts, Joe. It's always interesting. I'm going to go back and listen to that 2014 interview and see what you did say about becoming the commissioner. Was it ever a real possibility? I think you told us you were never really interested. You really have dodged a bullet if it was. Uh, <laughs> and you no, did. It, it, was, it, was it was not really a possibility. Yeah. I kind of I screwed up my. Um, I kind of screwed that up. Fincham and I were not as close as um, we could have been. <laughs> do, you, do you sometimes? I sometimes wonder, Joe, how different this whole scenario would look under Fincham compared to Monaghan. You wonder. Yeah, it'd it be interesting. It? Tim Tim was always like, just pay him and they'll shut up. Yeah, that was kind of his. You know, money, 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 and. and he never went up against a money source like this one, no. so it'd be it'd be fascinating yeah, to see how be. he would do it. I mean, he's he's an interesting, he's a very good tactician, extraordinary politician. politician, yeah, extraordinary yeah. politician. Fabulous. Mind you, just paying everyone off with money is the seed of the demise, arguably, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Because it became yeah. a, 
you know, just throw money at it. And there's no innovation. There's, you know, there was when someone with more money comes along, you lose. Yeah. <laughs> that's what. Yeah, that's right. You know, which is uh, which is exactly what we're going to go out on today. This is Jane Monaghan talking about uh, the threat. So we'll be back on the next State of the Game, 111, I think it'll be next time here on State of the Game. Let me be clear. I am not naive. If this is an arms race, and if the only weapons here are dollar bills, the PGA Tour can't compete. The PGA Tour, an American institution, can't compete with a foreign monarchy that is spending billions of dollars in an attempt to buy the game of golf. There you go. PGA Tour institution. It's an interesting wording. We might discuss that on the next time. Next Which, issue. of course, just one more thing. There was a fundamental mistake in the last, very last sentence there. This is not the game of golf. No. I know. It's a game of profession. It's a game of professional golf. And at Royal Melbourne yesterday, I saw a whole lot of members at Royal Melbourne who couldn't care less about professional golf. Mm. You know, it it is not the game of golf. No. Far from it. Well put, Clates. Nice for you to have the last word, even if you didn't say it into the microphone. But we'll let the listeners Sorry, tell, we'll let the listeners tell us what they think about that. <laughs> Episode one hundred and ten, I think it was, of State of the Game. Done and dust. We'll be back to, next time here on State of the Game. State of the Game is a talk and golf production. Theme music, Writers Retreat, provided by Lloyd Cole. Visit www.lloydcole.com for more information. For more golf podcasts, log on to www.talkandgolf.com. Dot com.